We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Wire. New England sending QB Jimmy Garoppolo to 49ers. We believe we found the right guy. Garoppolo, quick pass, caught by Kittle. He dives, and he's in. Touchdown, 49ers. Kittle is going to go. Touchdown. What's up, folks? Rob here from Striking Gold. Crocker and I are about to talk 49ers, but first we've got to give a shout out to one of our sponsors here at Blue Wire, Indochino. Now, this is a rocket science. Everybody knows how good, whether you're a man or woman, everybody knows how good you look in a suit. It just comes down to that. The, the reason most people don't have them is because they're pretty expensive. Well, that's where Indochino comes in. Indochino is the world's largest made-to-measure menswear brand. They make suits, shirts, coats, and more. Everything is made to your exact measurements for a great fit. Like I said, we all know how good we all look in a great fitted suit. Indochino's process is simple. Choose your fabric, pick your customizations, and submit your measurements. Your package will be delivered straight to your door in two weeks. You can get measured and design your suit at your nearest Indochino showroom, or do it all yourself online at Indochino.com. Right now, you can get $30 off your total purchase of $3.99 or more at Indochino.com when you enter in the code BLUEWIRE at checkout. Plus, shipping is free. That's Indochino.com, promo code BLUEWIRE for $30 off your total purchase of $3.99 or more. Incredible deal, and especially with holiday season rolling around, might be something you want to hit up hit up, uh, up your loved ones for and see if you can get hooked up with a nice suit. You really have no excuse anymore to wear clothing that doesn't fit. And with that being said, we're back again with another week of Striking Gold, your 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Network. 
This week's episode is brought to you by our sponsors, Indochino, Harry's, and ShipStation. My name, as always, is Rob Lauder. I cover the 49ers for NinersNation.com. Joining me tonight is my co-host, quarterback of the Press Coverage Podcast, also on the Blue Wire Network, Eric freaking Crocker. How you feeling, brother? I mean, I'm doing, I'm doing good. You know, 49ers, 10-2, a lot of people panicking, but uh, I, I'm not – Heading there. Actually, I can't wait to talk about that, but I, I, I'm doing well. How you doing, man? How was Disneyland? It was cool, man. It was cool. I'm sorry to leave you hanging. I mean, I'm not really that sorry because I was <laughs> the happiest place on earth, bro. But uh, it was fun. My family, yeah, we went to uh, – uh, we usually try to make one or two Disneyland trips a year. It's just always been our thing. This year, we just happened to go on Thanksgiving. Me, my mom, and my dad are all teachers, so we all kind of have the same break. And then my brothers and sister, my brother and sister, just kind of worked their way into it. So yeah, it was a lot of fun. There was uh, there was some rain, so and we don't care about rain. I I like the rain, so we were in the park. The park was empty. We were riding. We had like we'd ridden all the rides we wanted to ride before noon. Like it was super chill. It was fun. Um, we had like ribs for Thanksgiving because we went to Tony Roma's. Like it was it was just the most random Thanksgiving ever. But it was chill. It was chill. It was a good time. Appreciate you uh, you holding it down while I was. Uh, while I was away. But yeah, like, like like Crocker said, 49ers dropped another one, their second loss of the season, this time to the Baltimore Ravens. So the two teams that they have lost to are both 10-2. and two. So I'm not sure. I know you already mentioned people kind of freaking out. I'm not really sure there's anything to freak out about. I mean, it's not that they haven't beaten good teams. They embarrassed the Rams, who just embarrassed the Cardinals, which was totally weird. And... They beat the Packers worse than they've been beaten in a long time. So it was uh, – I, I don't I know. Just, I just don't think it's it's something worth – they lost a good game. You know what I mean? Like at some point, you just got to kind of tip your hat to the other team, say it was a good game, it was a close game, and move on. And there doesn't always have to be an implication or like – you know what I mean? Does that make sense? It doesn't always have to be like something to worry about, which in this case – you know, that doesn't mean there, there wasn't things that went wrong, but I just don't think it's a game that you really need to trouble yourself about. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think the things that, like, okay, going into this season, how many games did you expect for the 49ers to win? My most, like, positive prediction before the season was, like, 9-7. and seven. Yeah, my, my most positive, I think, like, the most positive positive, I think I went, like, out on the limb and was, like, 11-5. and five. And, and that was me, like, like super wishful thinking, you know, like if everything goes 100% right, which I didn't think would happen, but I was like 11 and 5. Well, it looks like the 49ers can possibly surpass that. I, I, I think the issue that I'm having is people saying, oh, well, the 49ers um, got out coached against the Ravens. The 49ers got out coached against the Seahawks. And, and I look at those games and – I wouldn't say that it's a it's out coached. Like when I think of out coached, like out coached looks like the Rams against Baltimore. Like that's what out coached looks like to me. Like when you get out coached, it's the the game plan that I had going into the game did not work at all. That's you know, yeah. That's like out coached is when the 49ers played the Panthers. Like when you right, that's like it's so dominant. You know what I mean? That you're averaging over six yards of carry and stuff like when yeah. you pull off stuff that's that gaudy, then yes, I would say you're out coached. But when- that, that's to me, that's out coached. Like in, in a game that's extremely competitive, competitive, 
you know, statistically, when you look at it, the 49ers, I think, actually, like, won most of the statistics as far as rushing yards, passing yards, um, you know, a lot of those type of things. The the turnovers were uh, the same. Each team had one. Um, each team went for it several times on fourth down. Um, I know they got stopped sometimes on fourth. Niners got stopped a couple times on fourth down. Like, it, it was an extremely competitive game that was back and forth. To me, I didn't look at that game that – one team got out coached one way or the other. Um, the same with the with the Seahawks game. Um, you know, as far as execution goes and stuff like that, there were turnovers, there were sacks. I, it was a a good game between two really good teams. That that was how I looked at the Seahawks game. That's how I look at the Ravens game. Um, so for when I hear people say that the team got out coached because a player or two didn't go their way. I disagree there. And, and not in, like, I, I don't, if there was a clear, like, okay, this did not work, 49ers, then I would say, yeah. You know, and obviously Lamar Jackson, like, you know, he's a handful. It's hard to handle a, a guy like him, especially with the read option or zone read, whatever it is that they're, they're running, the wishbone offense, whatever it is. Um, it's tough to defend those things in general. And I thought for the most part, especially the second half, 49ers came out, they made some good adjustments. But, yeah, I, I hear that. I keep get, hearing that thrown out there. Uh, 49ers were outcoached. And that didn't look like an outcoach. I, I don't think when you get outcoached, you lose by a game-winning field goal. I no, think that's and, two teams that yeah, – because yeah. To both, both teams – what people don't understand, when you have good coaches, especially on both sides of the ball, like there's a saying in football, like that team gets paid too. You know, those coaches get paid, too, just like 49ers coaches. That team is 10-2, just like the 49ers are. There's going to be some back and forth. Every play is not going to go right. They're going to have plays that are drawn up that work for them. 49ers are going to have plays that are drawn up that work for them. Like, there's going to be back and forth. And I thought that there was a lot of that. So, yeah, I, I keep seeing that whole 49ers were outcoached. And that's not an outcoached game. An outcoached game is when you see the 49ers just get completely dominated and they look like they have no answers, that's outcoached. I didn't see that yet. No, I didn't. I didn't either. And I think that just be, I do. I do think Shanahan made a couple mistakes throughout the game that kind of put the 49ers in a crummy situation. But like you said, that doesn't necessarily that doesn't necessarily mean somebody is outcoached. It just means you might have made a few mistakes. Just like players make mistakes on the field. And I'm sure if we wanted to really break it down, the Ravens made their their share of coaching mistakes. Um, as well it's just that's just how games go coaches are are just like players in a different position and the fact that they have a job to do and not every call is going to be great not every decision is going to be great uh they're all made in the moment in that split second you know with their ideas in mind and, and sometimes they go right and sometimes they go wrong and to me if there's one person that uh, not necessarily situationally because if anything he's got a right to be criticized about that but when it comes to calling plays there's probably not another coach that someone in the league if you ask all the NFL, you know, everybody in the NFL who the best play caller in the league was, I think Shanahan would probably come in first, if not maybe top two. You know, like there's just – as far as coaching through a game and having a game plan and, and knowing what you want to do schematically, I don't really think Shanahan's ever going to be somebody that we can complain about. He's just too smart. He's too sharp. He always goes in with a good game plan. That doesn't mean it always – the game always goes how it's planned. Players still got to execute. But, you know, to, like you said, to me, to throw around the term out coach, that's, that's for games where somebody gets the, the rug swept by him and, and it was just, you know, a blowout. And obviously the, the other coach decided to do something that you had no idea they were going to do. You know, they completely, you know, 
it's you get the point. I don't need to, to ramble on about it, but just to kind of hit some points here before we, we get too far into the, the Ravens game. Um, there were some big time playoff implications when that game, it, it, I say that, but in reality, there's going to be big time playoff implications for every game from here on out, because uh, you have three teams that are all 10 and two that are vying for, you know, seeds, top seeds in the NFC. You have the saints who are 10 and two, who the 49ers play next week. You have the Seahawks who are 10 and two. You have the 49ers who are 10 and two, which is, I mean, I don't even, I have no way to know this. Maybe I guess I could have a way of knowing this if I really wanted to put this much time into something, but I, you would probably be able, be able to go back pretty far to find another division with this, with this many 10 and two teams. And even the Packers are right behind them at nine and three that are all vying for playoff spots. Like when is the last time that there have been that many excellent teams all within the same division? Uh, You know, like the, I guess, I mean, I guess it can't be that rare because the Ravens and the Patriots are both 10 and two in the AFC, but then everything after that is crazy. I mean, you have bills and nine and three, so maybe it's not as rare as I would think it was, but it just seems like the the NFC is so dominant. And when you have a 10 and two team as the fifth seed, which is where the 49ers are now, that just seems crazy. It's the division that makes it so random. Like, I mean, you know, with conferences, you see that. Like you like you said, the Ravens and the Patriots. But you typically don't see two 10-2 teams in the same division. That's that's a little rare. Right. And, and so right now, just to kind of update everybody, get that mental picture in your head. Um, prior to facing the Ravens, the 49ers were the number one seed in the division. Um the and with the Saints and Seahawks right behind him. Well, the 49ers had lost to the Seahawks. So the moment the Seahawks became beat the Vikings on Monday night, uh, they took the 49ers' place as the, the they didn't take the 49ers' place as the number one seed. They jumped up to the number two seed, and the Saints slid over to number one because the Saints have beaten the Seahawks. So the 49ers were bumped down because of a t- uh, you know a tiebreaker, and then the same thing happened to the Seahawks. That's why they didn't go to the number one seed. So now the 49ers at 10 to at 10 and two are the fifth seed which isn't really necessarily worth overreacting about. Yes, you lose that first round by, but there's not a whole lot the 49ers could have done about it the moment the 49ers lost to the Seahawks. You know, unless you're just hoping the Seahawks lose games that they're probably, excuse me, not going to lose. So the 49ers is the fifth seed. If the season ended now, which it doesn't, there's still a lot to go in it, go down. Uh, the 49ers would be playing the Cowboys at Levi's Stadium in Wild Card Weekend, uh, which is awesome because anytime the no. no. No, they they play in Dallas. Why would they play in Dallas? Uh, uh, division no, you're winner, right. yeah, because automatically six, gets the home home game. You're right. You're right. I'm just noticing that right now. That's so crazy that six and six is winning them their division. <laughs> well, it, it happened. I mean, you know, it's kind of weird now because we're involved, but it, it happened with the Seahawks and Saints the year Marshawn Lynch had that crazy run. Like, I think that team was like under 500, and they ended up beating the Saints. That's crazy. In Seattle. As you can tell, my playoff, my, my knowledge of how the playoffs can twist and turn is not that great, but we're, we're working through it. But it's just it's just crazy. So whether it's in – I don't think it would matter. I think the 49ers would handle a team like the Cowboys pretty easily. Uh, it's just – but, yeah. So you can see that the playoff situation is crazy. The big, big takeaway is next week – or, excuse me, this week, the 49ers play the Saints, which is – Pretty much a must win if the 40s Niners want to maintain their hopes of 
still winning the division and capturing that number one or number two seed, I would think it would automatically make it to number two. So essentially what you're looking at is both the 49ers and the Seahawks need to kind of win out and then decide how things are going to go in the very last game of the season when they play each other at CenturyLink Field. So it's it's wild, like how much – and I was even reading all the different – tiebreakers that come into account if the 49ers or, or, and the Seahawks both have the same record and they both have beaten it's weird I don't know I'm not even going to begin to to try and break all that down but the 49 every game from here on out for the 49ers is definitely a must win if they want to maintain pace with the other two 10 and team 10 and two teams in the division so that's going to be wild a couple other things that we need to touch on before we start hitting on the Ravens uh, Kyle Shanahan well actually right now the 49ers are in Florida um, they're kind of doing what they did in week one uh, between Tampa and Cincinnati. They are staying uh, in Florida, practicing, preparing for the Saints, rather than making, rather than going all the way to Baltimore, then all the way back to California, and then a couple days later going all the way to uh, to New Orleans. They are staying in Florida, and then they're going to head to play play the Saints here in a little bit. Um, but Shanahan's- so you're not, you're not supposed to say New like when you say New Orleans, like it has it's like one word. New Orleans, New Orleans. There you go. Yeah, no, yeah. I know. I, I went to college in Arkansas, so I got a whole bunch of homies from New Orleans, and it's like, knowledge. it's like, yeah, it's like one word almost. Like, right. No, I've heard it. that before. I when I went when I went to basic training, I went to basic basic training in Kentucky. So there are a bunch of guys from just that side of the outside of the country there. And what was funny is, obviously, I'm from California. I have a very, very vanilla like way of speaking, and. By the time I left basic training, I had like developed a small, a slight accent, like, like <laughs> because, a little southern draw. right? Because you just get used to being around people that talk like that, so you kind of just, without even thinking about it, start talking like that. And it was funny when I got home, my family was like, "What did you say?" I'm like, "What do you mean?" They're like, "Like, can you say that again?" <laughs> and they made me keep saying words over and over because they started to change. But, but yeah, and I know <laughs> it's not New Orleans; it's Nolans, like basic. Like yeah, they just kind of put together, and it's. I'll, I'll never be there. I'll never be one of them, which is fine. That's fine. They got their thing going and I appreciate it. But so <laughs> the 49ers are going to go there. And Shanahan said today that he, he expects Joe Staley to be back, who is still recovering from a real minor uh, finger surgery. Um, they expect Matt Breida to get back into the backfield and they expect D Ford back. Who's a, you know, would be a, a big boost for the pass rush, especially with, uh, with Ronald Blair down for the season. Um, so Kyle's optimistic about all the, all three of them playing. Um, he seemed like it was almost like a foregone conclusion, like they're going to play, but he couldn't say that yet. So we'll see that could, that could always change the 49ers injury luck has been real back and forth. Um, some of the injuries from the game, Richard Sherman hurt his knee. Um, and he kind of, I mean, it's sure, man, he's, he's a veteran. He, he, he thinks he's going to play and he's one of those guys. that's such a, you know, veteran guy that unless the injury is a lot worse than he thinks and the doctors kind of shut him down, then he's probably going to play. Um, I know that, uh, that some of the, the beat writers said that he was moving around the locker room with a pretty noticeable limp afterwards, you know, which is, he was probably in some pain. I think he said he was in some pain, but Kyle Shanahan won't rule him out. Richard Sherman says he's playing uh, unless something changes, you know, he was, I would expect him to play, but if he doesn't, you know, the 49ers don't have to worry too much because they have um, Akella Witherspoon, who's gotten back to playing well, started the season off really strong. Uh, and then they have Emmanuel Mosley, who's shown that he can hang with the best of them. So uh, the 49ers have a really good cornerbacks behind Sherman. So if he can't play, I think the 49ers will be okay. But 
like I said, I think he's going to play. Um, strong safety, Jaquiski Tart, suffered a rig fracture. He's day-to-day. Think of it like Emmanuel Sanders' injury, um, where he kind of played, but he was kind of in and out. Um, I, it's a lot to do with the pain tolerance thing. Depending on how significant the fractures are, it could hurt to breathe, could hurt to laugh, could hurt to, you know, any of those things. So it just depends. We'll see. Um, DJ Jones also had a knee sprain. He's considered day-to-day. All these guys could play. It's just tough to say. If When it's day-to-day, that means they have a chance of playing. If they say week-to-week, like Julian Taylor, who has like an elbow strain, um, he probably won't play because, you know, they, they're going to need a couple weeks to recover. Um, so that's kind of all the updates. Uh, you know, the, everything we've got to kind of cover before um, we get into the Ravens. Um, but to me, my first takeaway from the Ravens game is, yes, it's disappointing to lose, but I was still very impressed with the 49ers. They came all the way from California, traveled all the way to Baltimore um, to face one of the best, if not the best team in the NFL with probably the most momentum out of any other team uh, with a, a quarterback who's just – white hot, um, you know, leading MVP in Lamar Jackson. They played in some horrible weather. It was cold. It was rainy. And they still went toe-to-toe with with one of the best teams in the NFL. And I think a lot of people felt like the 49ers were probably going to lose convincingly, um, you know, because for some reason there were still so many people around the league that didn't quite – weren't quite – convinced by the 49ers uh even though they were they were 10 and 1 entering this game or you know so I, I don't know what there what there wasn't to be impressed with but I was I was impressed with the 49ers even though they lost they they overcame all that the huge travel distance the weather um the Ravens and all their momentum and they went toe-to-toe punch for punch and they you know they came out on the bottom you know but to me that was impressive considering everything about that game leading up to it. If you, if you looked around to see, you know, everybody's picks, your predictions, I guarantee you 80 plus percent picked the Ravens and for the 49ers to go toe to toe. It to me, it's, it's proving a lot about themselves. And if, if there's one thing I believe about this current crop of 49ers, that they respond to losing very, very well. They've obviously under Shanahan lost plenty of games over the first two years. And I feel like this loss is not going to dishearten them at all. Uh, it's not going to phase them at all. It's not like they're going to start to question what they can and cannot accomplish. Because, like I said, they went toe-to-toe with the Ravens, which is really impressive. Um, you know, and they're a smart team. They're very introspective. They know that their only two losses have been by game-winning field goals. I was talking to Raheem uh, Mostert on, on Xbox, and he was just like, man, it, you know, it really sucks. But we know we're right there. Like, we – the two losses – you know, with, with just a couple plays going our way, they could be 12-0. and 0, Like, And that's my biggest takeaway from it. I, I think a lot of people, um, you know, I've listened to KMBR, you know, just what different people are saying about it. And it's like, oh, well, like, it, it's almost as if people feel like, hey, the 49ers should be happy that um, it was a good game. And in my opinion, that's not why the 49ers should be happy. Um, I wouldn't say happy, but I, I'd say encouraged. Um, the thing that they should be encouraged by is that the way that the 49ers lost that game and the game against the Seahawks, one play goes the other way and you win. You know, there are a lot of people that play in these games. You know, look at the Cowboys on Thursday night football against the Bills. One play wasn't going to change that game. The Cowboys got their bus kicked, right? Um, you look at the Ravens against the Rams last week. One play wasn't going to change that game. You got your bus kicked. So it's like the Rams, when they look at the Ravens, it's like, do we even belong on the same field as that team? Right? And the 49ers have kicked some teams' ass like that too, where teams literally did, did not – like the Packers. 
when they play the 49ers again, in the back of their heads, they probably won't tell you this. They won't say this to the media. But they felt like they did not belong on the same field as the 49ers. We're talking about, the, the at the time, the 8-2 Packers. Well, the 49ers and the Ravens, after that game, yes, you took an L, but I can guarantee the 49ers felt like, if we play them again, we're going to win. Like, not, it's not even just and that, oh, we belong. Like, the like Ravens that. feel like if they have to play the 49ers again, they're not going to be overlooking them at all. Like, right. Like, they know they're yeah, going to it's going to be a good game. Um, the 49ers can win. The Ravens can win. Um, you don't know which way it's going to go. And that was my biggest takeaway from it uh, is, hey, one play here and there, and the 49ers, hey, you win this game. So, I, yeah, that's what I took away from it. Not so much, oh, the 49ers, they played them close. It was a close game. Oh, look at the weather conditions. They hung in there. I, I didn't look at it like that. I looked at it like a play here and there, one one play, and, you know, 49ers convert on fourth down, and they probably win the game. And the whole narrative has changed because now we're not hearing, oh, the 49ers, look, they, they hung with them. They should be happy about it. It's like, hey, they won. So that was my kind of my, my biggest takeaway from there. Um, the 49ers can beat anybody in the NFL on any given day. 49ers can literally beat anybody. And if you are going to beat the 49ers, you're going to have to really beat them. You're going to have to really beat the 49ers. Right. Right, and it's to me, there's just no more questions about who the 49ers can and cannot hang with. They can beat any team in the NFL, and there's a lot of teams that I feel like the 49ers match up really well against, one of them which they're playing this weekend uh, in the Saints. I feel like any team or that quarterback feels like he can just sit in that pocket is in for a rough day, and obviously Drew Brees is not a mobile guy, but we'll get we'll get into that. Um how many teams have um, went undefeated and won the Super Bowl? I don't know. One? Yeah, one, right? They're like 72 Dolphins, I believe. Right. But it's like the 49ers feel like, 49ers fan base feels like if you lose a game, it's like, oh, my gosh, we you can't lose. Like, and it's like, dude, that's not that's not how this works. Well, and it's, what's funny, too, is like most people's predictions before the season were right there where you and your – you and I was, you know, some there eight and eight, nine and seven, you know, even under that seven to nine, whatever it is, you know, just think about predicting like, like you predicted 11, five, 11 and five at your most optimistic. And that's five losses. The 49ers have only lost twice and people find a way to freak out. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it, the, just kind of pump the brakes on, on. The, the th- you're not always going to have like the, sometimes there's going to be a player here and there that doesn't go your way, but Teams that have won the Super Bowl, they figure out at the right time when to make those plays. And I think that's what the 49ers are working through right now where all all teams, no matter what, you're going to lose a game here and there. How do you lose? And can you make sure in the come playoff time those things don't happen? Now, we might not be confident that they can make sure those things don't happen come playoff time, but just know come playoff time, teams are going to, when they see the 49ers, and they have to play the 49ers, they know, like, dang, we have to try to force them into making not just one mistake, but multiple mistakes to even have a chance at being in the 49ers. Because the 49ers have made multiple mistakes and still kick people's ass. So you're going to have to make the 49ers make multiple mistakes just to 
even have a chance at beating them. And you're going to have to manage and endure everything the 49ers are throwing at you without making mistakes of your own, which has been exactly. – nobody's really been able to do that. So before we, we keep rolling on with the Ravens and before we hit up the Saints, uh, we got to give you hit you with a couple more words from our sponsors. Um, in addition to Indochino, we've got Harry's Razors, which, you know, with the holiday season rolling around, it's it, it might be a perfect gift for, for someone in your family, one of your loved ones. Um, most men can always use a good set of razors, and, and that's what Harry does. Uh, listeners to our show can get $5 off any Harry's shave set by heading to harrys.com backslash blue wire. Free shipping ends on December 16th, so act now. You all know you want to find a reason to avoid doing last-minute Christmas shopping anyways, so the fact that the free shipping ends on December 16th helps you out. Um, it's a great deal for you and him. That's why Harry's makes a perfect gift for the holidays. Holiday parties usually start at 20 bucks. That's within the secret Santa limit, and that's where Harry starts. Okay, you get refills for as low as two bucks, so you and your guy will save money over time. It comes ready to gift in a handsome little holiday gift box, and your gift box is back. 1% of each sale will be donated to charity organizations, so you can feel good about your purchase and get that shopping out of the way. As a special offer for fans of the show, we partner with Harry's to give you $5 off any shave set, including their limited edition holiday sets, when you go to harrys.com backslash blue wire. Plus, you'll get free shipping, free 99 Each Harry's shaving set comes with a weighted handle with option to engrave if you want that, five-blade razor cartridges, foaming shave gel for a rich lather, travel cover to protect your blades, packaged in a handsome little holiday gift box. Free shipping ends on December 16th. So act now. Just go to harrys.com backslash blue wire. That's harrys.com backslash blue wire. And lastly, we have ShipStation. With the holiday rushes here, you have to be able to ship orders out quickly, efficiently, and affordably. But how do you keep track of all those orders? Decide which shipping carrier to use or you're getting the best rates. Luckily, ShipStation.com can't help. With just a few clicks, you'll be managing orders, printing labels, and getting those products out the door and delivered in time for the holidays. Um, I buy a lot of stuff online. Uh, I haven't started shipping my own stuff. I used to sell some stuff on eBay, and shipping was always the most complicated part for me. I, I really ne- never knew what to do, how to print out the label, what size box I should use. ShipStation helps with all of that. Uh, it's the number one choice for all online sellers to ship more in less time with the best rates available. Take the hassle out of the holiday shipping this year. Let ShipStation help you handle it with ease. Just use my offer code BLUE, B-L-U-E, to get a 60-day free trial. That's two months free of no hassle, stress-free holiday shipping. Just visit ShipStation.com. Click on the microphone at the top of the page and type in BLUE. That's ShipStation.com. Enter offer code BLUE. ShipStation make ship happen. And let me tell you, it is hard to read that ad and not say the other word that rhymes very closely with (laughs) ship. Like I said ship probably 50 times right there and never said the other word, which I'm patting myself on the back because it would be very easy to do. Because like I said earlier, I was in the military. I have a little bit of a potty mouth. Luckily, being a teacher and all, I found a way to kind of put that away. But Man, Shane ship that many times? It's crazy. It's crazy. Now you've gotten really good at uh, at reading those ads, man. Doing. Oh, great. I appreciate it, bro. I appreciate you picking me up. But uh, anyways, <laughs> um, another guy who we cannot we cannot get past this deal. I kind of have my notes gathered up in like goods or bads, but definitely one of the guys we got to talk about with the goods is Raheem Mostert, who 
It just seems like when one running back kind of takes a step backwards, another one steps up when it comes to the 49ers. If Matt Breed is not lighting it up, and obviously he hasn't been while he's been recovering from a, an ankle injury, Tevin Coleman lights it up. And if Tevin Coleman's not lighting up, then here comes Raheem Mostert, who had a career day in every way, shape, or form. He got the ball 19 times, which is a career high. He ran for 146 yards and a touchdown against the Ravens in their top five rushing defense. So Raheem went crazy. And obviously a big shout-out to the offensive line for for opening up the holes and what he needs to, to do his job. Uh, Raheem averaged 7.7 yards per carry. Um, I, like I said, I talked to him after the game, played some Xbox with him. I heard him on the radio. He was on 95.7 the game earlier today. And he just was very humble about it all. You know, he's very excited, obviously. It's it's hard to talk about a game like that where he breaks, you know, every personal record he could break. But then the 49ers still lose because all those guys just want to get the win. That's what, you know, they don't care if, if they're breaking career records. They just want to get a win. So you could tell it was hard for him to talk about that. But still, that's a really awesome game. He accounted for the 49ers total – um, had 330 yards, and Raheem Mostert accounted for 146 of them. That's almost half, which is nuts. You know, with the, given the weather and the rain, obviously the, the game was always going to kind of take place on the ground. But, you know, Lamar Jackson, who's obviously been on fire, he, re- he carried it 16 times for 101 yards and averaged 6.3 yards per carry. So Raheem outdid him. And I guess it's fair to say a running back should outdo a quarterback, but obviously we all know that Lamar Jackson is not a normal quarterback. He's on, he's on his own level, uh, which is impressive in and of itself. But, you know, you can't really talk about the game without mentioning him because he's really what he was really the spark for the 49ers defense. His his 40s, I think it was a 41 yard touchdown. Um, he had, you know, obviously he had some great blocking. I think George Kittle, Mike Person, Mike McGlinchey, Richie James was. Richie James, yeah, Richie James like was all up in that play, clearing lanes. But then uh, I think uh, I think uh, Raheem stiff-armed Marcus Peters and then made uh, uh, Earl Thomas belly flop and then took it into the end zone. So it was it was an impressive run, you know, at, from a whole team's perspective. Raheem did his business, his blockers did his business. So you can't really talk about the Ravens game and any of the positives without, without mentioning him. And then another one for me was Marcel Harris, who stepped up in place of – Duquesne Tart when he injured his ribs and within like three plays he was running up to the to the you know the the front runner for the league MVP and ripping the ball out of his hands at, at a crucial time in the game I think it was it was definitely the second half I don't know if it was third or fourth quarter um, probably third but it was just an impressive play for you know the 49ers former six round pick and that was that was just awesome to see he just ran up and stole the ball from him so uh, Lamar Jackson hadn't been knocked down. The ball wasn't punched out. Marcel Harris just ran up and was like, you, I'll take it. So, you know, there's still a lot of positives to take from this game, like we've talked about. Some of the things I didn't care for, I, I thought that final series at the end of the first half was was a little weird at times. I could understand that the 49ers didn't want Lamar Jackson and the Ravens to get the ball back. But to me, at no point were the Ravens ever just like – how, am I, how, am I, how do I want to say this? Marching down the field at a really fast pace. 
you know, everything for the Ravens was very meticulous over time. They had these huge drives. I think throughout the game, they averaged just a little over four yards of play, you know, and the 49ers averaged over six yards of play. So it wasn't like the Ravens were, you know, threatening deep. And, you know, given the weather, it was always going to be run. So I felt like no matter if, let's say you did leave 30 seconds on the clock for the Ravens because you marched down the field and scored. I just never felt like they could do much with that time. So. See, I, I didn't look at it like that. I, I looked at it like um, I don't want to f- turn the ball over before the half and give them an opportunity to score on a short field when they also get the ball back after halftime. Now, I know there's a lot of people like, well, you can't play scared. And it's not even really – to me, it wasn't about playing scared. It was just about playing the situation, right, and the elements. Um they, when they got the ball, when they got the ball, there was like, what, 158 left, right? And mostly had a big run. Boom, he had a big run, 19 yards. Um, I was like, great. Like, that great run, that's a great start. Okay, so uh, Rex Ryan, one thing I learned from him, uh, he said most two-minute drills are started with a screen or draw or a run play like with most of it. But um, screen or draw. And the reason why is just because you just want to see how many yards you get. So when you get 19, it's like, okay, like this might be a time for us to really, you know, get going. So they kind of still slow played a little bit. Cool. I I was all for that. Um, And then you had the George Kittle play where he got the first down. I'm like, okay, now they're really working. And he got out of bounds. But then they called a legal block in the back, moved it back. So now it's first and 20 with a minute and 20 left. Yeah, now Debo Samuel, he catches like a 10-yard pass or 8-yard pass. Yeah, an so, just to kind of make up for the yards they Yeah, but, you know, it's still second and 12. You still have the clock running, and it's like, okay, I don't want to do anything. It's like it's, it's, it's first and 20. I don't want to do anything crazy. Okay, even though I get 8 yards back, it's still second and long distance. And I, I the last thing you want to do there was force something – um, a, a ball just go bounce off of somebody's hands right into a Ravens' hands because we're kind of pressing. Um, maybe, you know, Jimmy G gets pressured and throws the ball, slips through the guy's hand. That's all I was thinking about. So when it was second and 12 and Mostert, and then Mostert had another long run, I was like, oh, great. We, we are getting in position to score. Now, at that time, though, a lot of time had ran off, so there's only 32 seconds left after – um, the, well, there's 32 seconds when they snapped the ball when Mostert had that long run. But to that point, I thought that they had played – I thought that they had played the the clock management actually correct. Like, And people, people were like, well, that's terrible. Everything I heard was, oh, it's terrible, it's terrible. My initial reaction was that was great clock management because, one, you, you assured that the Ravens didn't get the ball back. Even if it was like meticulous or anything like that, you, you just made sure they don't get the ball back. They don't have an opportunity to score before halftime when they get the ball back after halftime. That, that's the key there. And then two, it was we don't want to turn the ball over in this weather. Jimmy G had already fumbled and gave them a short field for a touchdown earlier in the game, right? So we don't want we definitely don't want that to happen. Two, our running backs had taken care of the ball very well to that point, but it doesn't take much in that type of weather to punch the ball out. That, that was how I looked at it. And I just didn't want to turn it over before halftime and give them a short field um, and give them an opportunity to score. So I thought, to, for the most part, they were playing the clock 
very well. They still had like all their timeouts at that point. So I think that's what people are tripping off. But I just think just because of the scenario, had a big run, had a nice carry the next play, but it got taken back. It's first and 20. Again, time clicking. Like, I, I just didn't. I, I thought that they played well. And then there's a lot of people like, well, they, they, they should have got a little bit closer. Right? That's what I heard. They should have got closer. Well, a lot of people don't remember this play for whatever reason. But on second and four, I'm looking at it right now from the 36, they threw a deep out to uh, Emmanuel Sanders. So that was their shot of, okay, we want to take a shot. That ball, uh, Emmanuel Sanders ran his route to the 25-yard line. That was them trying to get closer. Now, once they didn't get closer, because the next play is third, excuse me, the next play is third and four, and I'm on the 36-yard line. Now I have to run the ball just to get as close as I can. And they used they used all the clock. Um, they didn't use all their timeouts, but I thought considering the situation of the um, the penalties and backing it up, the weather conditions and stuff like that, I thought they played it. I, I, I thought they played the the they they used the clock very well, and they gave themselves an opportunity to score before halftime and go into the halftime. Uh, tied up. The issue was we just didn't execute on the field goal and missed. And I think if you make that field goal, it's like, hey, great clock management. Used every second of the clock. You didn't turn the ball over. You got the team in scoring position. If you make it, it's like, well, you're going to have time tied up. People wanted them to be, oh, you can't play scared. You have to be more aggressive in this moment. It's like, yeah, be more aggressive and the ball bounces off somebody's hands and it's picked off, then you're going to be in a really bad position because now, what if Ravens, who Ravens who have scored, how many defensive touchdowns have they scored the last few weeks? It, it's been a lot. So you 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 turn the ball over, you give them an opportunity to score, and then you go down like 10 points going into halftime, and they get the ball back. Now you're in a terrible position. And I thought that they eliminated that option. I thought they did a good job in putting themselves in scoring position. We just didn't execute on the field goal. That, that's just kind of my, my spill on that but before halftime. I, I actually thought it was great clock management. To me, I would have probably played it completely different because I just wasn't – with the way the Ravens were playing, I, I wasn't – obviously they had effective drives, but they only put up 20 points all game. And I wouldn't have been afraid if they got the ball back just given how much time was left. Like, yeah, would it have been bad? You don't want to give them a short field necessarily, but the 49ers were on – where was their furthest? They were on. They were. They were on their thirty-four with a minute and thirteen seconds left. Now, yeah, it was first and twenty, and then it became second and twelve. But to me, it's like just go for it, man. And if I think that Shanahan probably has a host of plays in his playbook that have probably a very low chance of turning the ball over, and if those are the plays you run, that's fine. But at least try and get yourself out there. And to me, asking a kicker to make a fifty-one yard field goal in the rain and in the mud was stupid anyways. And then you also, I don't understand why you go into the half with another timeout. Like obviously they ran out of time, but when you got towards the end of that drive, they could have used more time, which means that you weren't really calling the timeouts earlier when you should have. And I, you know, I get that there's a balance between, you know, trying to be aggressive, but trying to avoid turnovers and trying not to give the ball back. I just don't think in those conditions, the Ravens offense was scary enough to necessarily fear giving them the ball back. Now, could it have, could they have given them the ball back and the Ravens could have scored. And then, you know, the scenario plays out that you're talking about 100%. Absolutely. But I just felt like with the way that game was going very similar to when they played the Redskins earlier in the season, it's like every point was going to count. And I feel like you just kind of make a few more, and maybe it's just a matter of a couple more plays 
you know, something a little bit more aggressive. I don't know. I, you know, I, it's easy for me to, to Monday morning quarterback it and just, you know, tear it apart. But there was that. And then obviously the, the one everybody remembers is the, the fourth and one. And I thought it when I, when I was watching it live, I thought it was fourth and much less than one. Like I thought it was like fourth and a half yard. And I think some of it had to do with, you know, when, uh, when, Western Richburg grabbed the ball. Centers always kind of move it right before they snap it. So it looked like a long, like a long one to me at this point. Yeah, it, it was longer. It was like closer to like two yards was, almost. And, and to me, when I saw, uh, I think it was Raheem get tackled, I thought it was like, like they almost could have given him the first down right then. So at some point, the ball ended up in a different spot where I thought it was. But to me, like, I don't know, man. Like, especially in the rain and your your offense is already averaging on the ground six yards a carry. Raheem is having the game of his life. Like, one of the things me and my dad were actually talking about it today. He's like, and this isn't really reality football, but my dad was like, like, that game should have been the game where Raheem Mostert was the hero to win it all for the 49ers. Like you have fourth down, you're driving down the field, you need one yard, give it to the guy who's averaging seven yards a carry. I don't care what the defense trots out there. When you and this running back are averaging seven yards a carry, then you give the guy another carry. And it, to me, the, the passing offense hadn't shown anything all game that was worth like leaning on, especially in the rain and in those conditions. It was just a really weird call to me. And, and Shanahan even said, like, you know, I, I didn't regret throwing, but I regret that pass play. 49ers came out in shotguns, so there was no play action. They knew there was not a quarterback sneak. There was just all these things where it seemed like it was just about the worst play you could ask for. But that, like like I said earlier in this podcast, if there's one guy when it comes to play calling that I'm not going to question, it's Shanahan. To me, it just – and I know I've already questioned it, so that's, but it, to me it just seemed like you weren't playing to your own strengths. And at that point, your offense was running the ball extremely well, and the Ravens' defense was failing to stop the run. You know, one of the arts of war that you know is is you you employ your own strengths and you attack weaknesses. And at that point, the 49ers' strength was running the ball. The the Ravens' strength, the weakness on defense was stopping it. So, you know, what are you afraid of? I understand that they would come out lined up 100 uh, percent ready to stop that run, but to me, it was just like. I don't know. It just made things too difficult. And then you go back and look at the play, and Kittle wasn't catching that pass anyways. They might have, might have been able to draw some type of pass interference or legal contact or holding penalty on, on Earl because he was kind of all over him. But Yeah, he was. I, I thought if it would have got through there, I think there would have been a, a pass But to me, it's like then you're saying, okay, the refs are going to do the job on fourth down in that moment. Yeah, no, it, it was a bad – even when I watch it again, I'm like – you did, like, these three curls. I would have liked – once you lined up and saw that, it's like, look, the corners are out here on the island. Like, can you check to a max protection and take a shot? <laughs> That's what I wish the 49ers would have done. I, I wish they would have taken uh, a couple more shots. Yeah, poor weather. I, I was um, surprised the 49ers didn't take more shots. Their, their one yeah. shot was insane on fourth down to Debo Samuel into double coverage, and he freaking caught the thing and scored a touchdown. He, like, pushed Marcus Peters out of the way. He's like, excuse me, I need to – you know, yeah. I, I was surprised though. I did mention that, and that was with safety help. Like it, on that fourth down play, there was no safety help. The safety was like ten yards off the ball, and right there, smack down in the middle of the field, King George Kittle. So the outside guys had zero help. 49ers had tight splits by both receivers. I mean, in the out and the up or a slant and go, anything like that, and and there's zero help. And now uh, the the you know, especially if you do like a max protection. The, the cornerback is going to have to grab the guy or he's going to slip because 
when when you are playing on a field like that, the advantage is the off- offense knows where they're going. Yeah, right. Defense You're doesn't. Defense and the, yeah. 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 So I, I'm surprised that they didn't take more shots against an aggressive uh, defense. Um, I know that's not the 49ers' offense, so I guess you can't just expect them to just change everything that they do. Um, and they're like the least – they take like the least amount of deep shots out of anybody. They kind of just run more of a scheme and scheme guys open like that, more middle-of-the-field shots. But I, I, I thought that was a time where 49ers could have taken some more chances and put a little bit more pressure on those outside guys at the, at the Baltimore Ravens. Well, I think they're solid, but I think the 49ers outside receivers, I think Debo and Mario Sanders are – Really good. Yeah, even, even so, you know, take, take a shot, man. Put, put a little pressure on those Ravens DBs and, and see if you can make them panic. See if you can make them grab you. See if you can, you know, not saying necessarily on that play. I mean, I, I probably would have on that play. But just in general, I thought 49ers could have taken more Yeah, and shots. they had a couple other things, you know, shooting themselves in the foot. Garofalo, can, you know, for all his, his positives, you know, one of his negatives is sometimes he just holds on to the ball too long. Sometimes he tries to make a play when, when there, there really is no more plays to be made. And, and I say that. But we've also seen Garoppolo make plays when you would think there are there's nothing else to be made. Yeah, he like didn't somebody like grab him and then he like he like shoveled it to yeah, Moster right. while he's getting yeah. like hit. Yeah. Like no, there, there was some like amazing plays that where I thought, man, this dude Garoppolo. That's I heard that too. Like, oh Garoppolo, he got in their way and it's like, dude, I thought the dude played great. I mean, outside you know obviously the fumble where it looked like he was trying to do too much. Um, I thought he scrambled at the right times to. Either you know prevent a sack or you know uh, pre, you know like gain a couple yards. Um, that play where he was like somebody had him and he like shoveled it to Mostert. Um, his throws weren't p- perfect by any means, right? It, it was tough to throw in the rain, but ultimately he got hit the ball to the receivers where I thought they did a really good job of catching the ball. Um, shoot, they caught the ball in this damn storm better than they did against the. Seahawks in perfect weather. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I I thought for the most part, it was a good, I mean, you know, you you had your your scripts, even on the sack, even on the one where Jimmy G fumbled, where it's like, Jimmy G, the play is dead. Like, just just give up, (laughs) just give it up. Um, I thought he had both hands on the ball. I thought he secured it. Like, it wasn't like he's just standing there, I don't know who's coming. He had both hands on the ball. One guy hit him. Um, he had, yeah, both hands on the ball. Then another guy came and the ball was jarred out, you know, it's wet and stuff like that. So, um, I didn't think that was a play where it's like, dude, you have no clue what's going on. I thought he was trying to protect the ball and the ball just ended up getting hit out. So, uh, the, the way Jimmy Garoppolo played, um, obviously you would wish that there was a better decision he could have made on that fourth down play or if we're not just ran in in general. Um, but I thought ultimately, you know, he completed over 70% of his passes. Um, they weren't perfect, but they got two guys. George Kittle made some really good catches. Um, I think that – I wish the 49ers would have uh, ran more screens. I think that was there because I saw a stat that said the Ravens blitzed on like 85% of the dropbacks. So, oh, yeah. They blitzed, like, they, blitzed, they blitzed way more than they didn't. Yeah, it was – was over eighty percent, which is kind of unheard of, especially in a game like that. That's nuts. But I think I felt they just they probably knew that most of the the, the game was going to take place on the ground and blitzing is another way to clog up lanes and kind of um, throw some wrenches into a run game. But another thing that I didn't like was now look, Lamar Jackson is obviously electric. He is going to make plays. He's like you know Russell Wilson. Plays are going to break down. He's going to make the plays. But it seemed like the Forty ers were completely unprepared to deal with. 
Lamar Jackson in the, your standard read option plays that they're still difficult to deal with, but they, they're not a mystery like they were when Colin Kaepernick played the Green Bay Packers in the playoffs, like where there were dudes looking in the completely wrong direction and Colin Kaepernick's running for a 50-something yard touchdown. You know, it's not like that anymore. People are pretty well versed on how to defend it, but it seemed like the 49ers were completely clueless on how to stop Lamar Jackson when he's just simply reading the defensive end. And what kind of blew my mind is you have a guy who's playing out of his mind at Eric Armstead, and he was clearly on these plays told to go get the running back. Which, and I think if, if, and I was talking with about this with KP, uh, the editor at Niners Nation, I think that the, that the defensive end had the running back. And I want to say they probably had like the weak side or, you know, kind of like the, the, the weak side linebacker kind of take the quarterback, which obviously wasn't working. They did adjust in the second half and there were some plays where in the first half they would have worked, but in the second half they didn't. But to me, it, and I, and I don't know anywhere nearly as much as these defensive coordinators, but to me, my first order of business would have been for, I would have said, okay, Eric arms, Eric, you see him handed a ball or, you know, reading you just go into him and, Hit, right. hit Lamar Jackson as good. hard as you can hit him. It doesn't matter if he's already hit the ball he because he is executing a fake and he could keep the ball. So you're not going to get flagged for any of the normal quarterback flags that you're going to see because he is in the moment he is reading that defensive end. He is, excuse me, an established runner and you can hit him as hard as you want. Now, sure, there's going to be some some protection for a quarterback. But to me, I never saw them once, and I could be wrong, just send a defensive end crashing into Lamar, right? Like you said, at the mesh point. And to me, I would much rather send my 320-pound, eight defensive lineman into their quarterback than stick him on the running back, which – to me, Lamar Jackson was the biggest threat for that offense on the field. Why do you have your playmakers focusing on a running back? To me, have your defensive end hit Lamar and then let the running back, if he gives it to the running back, then let the defense deal with him. You have four other defensive linemen and two linebackers to deal with that running back. There should have been a guy destroying Lamar and consistently there was nobody there. If it was a linebacker's responsibility, they weren't scraping over fast enough. And Lamar was consistently taking those runs for, you know, 10 yards, 12 yards, easy. And I was just mind blown by it. Like, it doesn't have to be your game plan the whole time. But send Nick Bosa or Eric Armstead barreling into Lamar Jackson when he's faking to their side and a couple times. And John Harbaugh is going to hesitate a little bit when it comes to these other read option plays if that's how the 49ers are going to play it. Sure, they might. I would have come out from the jump and and, and did right. it, and I didn't. Right. I, I thought that's what the 49ers are going to do. Like, all right, um, early in the game, we're going to establish that we're going to hit your quarterback every time he's um, reading our ends. And I mean, I, I would just send, like I said, send the guy straight to the mesh point, hit the quarterback, hit the quarterback, hit the quarterback. I do not care if he gets the ball. A little running bit more back. hesitant. To put their quarterback in harm's way. Just like I, I, and I. This is what I told some of my middle schoolers, and that's why it's like I'm like. 
trying not to get too ahead of myself. Like maybe there's something these guys know that I don't. But when we faced read option teams in, in my middle school, we had a guy blitzing off the edge, and we told him to hit the every time he's handing the ball off like that, and it's a read option play, just hit the quarterback. I don't care who gets the ball, just hit the quarterback. And their quarterback got so frustrated and frazzled, and he couldn't wait to hand the ball off. And towards the latter points of the game, our guy that was blitzing and going into the quarterback, we didn't really – we just told him, okay, start tackling the running back because the quarterback had had enough of that guy. He was going to hand it off every time. And if he kept it, then you know maybe we eat one of them. But at the same time, you've spent the whole first half of the game instilling fear into that quarterback that if I'm going to keep this ball, I'm going to get rocked or I'm going to have to make a move right away. And they never did that, ever. You know, Lamar's biggest plays were not on scrambles. They were on designed runs that they weren't like a mystery that we haven't seen before. They were on normal read option plays where he would just keep it. That's what they scored on. They got to the goal line and Lamar just kept it, read it, kept it, and trotted into the end zone. And to me, it's like you've watched them do this on tape all season. Why is this a mystery? And why did you think what you were doing was going to work? Because it wasn't even close. They did a little bit better in the second half where I actually think they had their ends just hang out and watch Lamar rather than worry about the running back. And even then, it's like, if you're, and we saw it in the game over and over, if you if your end even hesitates, he's not going to beat Lamar Jackson to the nope. edge. So I think you just have to attack him now. Or you're putting yourself at a disadvantage and he's going to get around your defense. Now, I think that the safeties and corners, just the DBs in general, outside of when Quan Williams got his... Uh, Outside of that, um, I, I thought they did a good job of running to the ball. But even then, it's like, well, he's already six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven yards downfield. That's you know, hard. yeah. If you can take that, happily take that. Like, right? If you if you attack him before he can even get started, now you 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 just take away that threat of him running. Right. Yeah, yeah. You got to just go and meet him at the threat. backfield, having yeah. to make somebody miss, and your defense is rallying to the ball, and he's not getting this perfect little pathway to five plus yards every play you know and he he made guys miss, miss even further than that to me it just it was so odd like like yeah but like you, you know you like like you said maybe the I mean, Salah and those guys they know a lot more than 100%. we do so maybe it's not that simple but I saw the Baltimore do it to the 49ers in the Super Bowl and every time Colin Kaepernick turned to even attempt to fake a handoff they right. were hitting Suggs him. kept hitting him so, over and over I I I think it is that simple. I mean, to the point where Colin Kaepernick <laughs> would back up after he handed the ball off just because he was trying to soften the blow of those hits. Um, because any you know, it got to the point where he had no interest in keeping the ball because he knew that every play he kept it, whichever side that you know they were faking toward, that defensive end was coming after him. And there was no surprise to be gained. There was you know it, if you don't know and you're listening, the read option play, all you're doing is the quarterback is reading. He's, as he's handing the ball off, he's just looking at the defensive end. Everything's muscle memory. He doesn't need to look at the running back or the running back's stomach. He's just watching the defensive end. And if that defensive end turns towards the, the play and chases down that running back, then you keep the ball and you go. Now, there could be somebody else at a second level of defense kind of ready to head off that quarterback. Like we said, a linebacker. But Lamar Jackson was so good at these plays, and he's such a dynamic player, and he's fast, and he's faster than most linebackers. It, it didn't matter. The fact that that defensive end was not staying there was enabling him to to, to read 
read him and just take off. And even if it was five plays, that's still too much. But it wasn't five yards. Or excuse me, even if it was five yards, it's still too much. But it wasn't just that. There were eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, and probably even more runs going to Lamar Jackson that were easily defendable. And, and like I said, I'm not underestimating the read option. It's very effective when you have a quarterback like that. But just let the running back be dealt with by the rest of the defense and have that guy, whether it's Armstead, Bosa, Buckner, whoever's there, just sit there and watch Lamar or crash right into him. If he wants to keep the ball, he's going to have to make a hell of a play and make that guy miss right in that instant. And, and, and again, he's having to make guys miss in the backfield. So that means your defensive linemen, your linebackers, and everybody else have already been keyed in on the fact that he's keeping that ball and they're moving in. So it just seemed odd that they seemed so incapable of dealing with a play that was very – you knew they were going to run. You know, so – but anyways, before we jump off, and we're already getting ready to touch an hour here, but, you know, that's just – we're defiant. We're horrible. Uh, you know, we always go along on, on striking goal, but that's okay. Uh, what do you, is there, do the Saints concern you, Croc, or what, how are you feeling about that matchup? Well, no, I, I mean, I, I already, already looked at it. I mean, I know if you uh, listened to last pod, you, you, you know, you obviously you were at Disneyland, but I said that that game worried me just because I thought that the weather affected the 49ers more than it would the Ravens. And I had the Ravens winning. Um, but this Saints game, like, I don't know if I should be as confident as I am, but anytime the 49ers face a drop-back quarterback, I just think those teams have no chance. Like, I think they have zero chance. And you have D4 coming back, like, I really, I really have zero doubt. And I, and I don't feel like I should be this confident. It's like, Eric, why are you this confident? No, man, let it flow. Let's Saints go. Let's go. <laughs> in New Orleans. But I just have, I literally have zero doubt. I have zero doubt. Yeah, Matt Brady coming back. I think that's going to be a great changeup. Uh, Mostert's running well. Um, you know, even with Coleman, I mean, on any given play, he can break. He hasn't been running very well, but um, you have a three-headed monster. Debo Samuel's coming along at a great time. You have George Kittle. I just feel like the 49ers have way too much on the offense and defense, and what the 49ers do well neutralizes what the Saints do well. And I've seen people talk about Drew Brees, but I've watched enough games of where – a dominant defensive line gets to him, and it's over. It's over. I saw earlier this year with the Falcons. Um, I remember last year I was watching it with the Dallas Cowboys. I'm just like, this dude has zero answer for what the Cowboys are doing, and he can't move the ball at all. Um, And this 49ers front is better than that, and they're going to have D4 coming back. I I don't feel like I should be this confident. It's like, Eric, maybe you're setting yourself up for a failure, but – well, yeah. if you, if I don't think that the Saints have a terrible opinions, then you shouldn't really be on this show, right? You know. Oh, and um, if you you know if you're a betting man, the spread as far as last time I looked, which I it was like this morning, it was minus two and a half in favor of the Saints, but you get three points for being at home, so they feel like on a neutral playing field, the 49ers are the better team, and I feel like the 49ers are a better team too, and I think they're going to play, but I have the 49ers winning, um, and. I'm not saying it's going to look like the Packers game, but I think it can look somewhat like that. <laughs> I, I don't think it's going to be – I think it's a double-digit win right, for the 49 I'm right there with you. I think the 49 – you know, if you add in the implications of playing the Saints and what it means to the playoff picture uh, and, and, and kind of the sting of coming off that Baltimore loss where it's not really a sting that takes your confidence because the 49ers know they can hang with a team like the Ravens, it's just a sting that pisses you off. 
and they're staying on the East Coast. They're going to become better acclimated to the, you know, the time zones, the conditions. They're going to have more energy. I think they're going to take it to the Saints, and I'm right there with you, Croc, and I have no problem with looking like an idiot if I'm wrong, but like we've said, there's no reason that you should lack confidence in this 49ers team, especially against a team like the Saints where they're they're obviously a very good team. They have Alvin Kamara, super dynamic running back. They have Michael Thomas, far and away the league's leading receiver um, and a genuine wide receiver one. But at the same time, the 49ers have the tools to deal with that. They have um, very fast linebackers to kind of move sideline to sideline with Kamara. They have great cornerbacks that are capable of shutting down somebody like a wide receiver one, whether that's Richard Sherman or Akella Witherspoon or even Emmanuel Mosley. We saw Witherspoon hang with uh, with Mike Evans in the beginning of the season, and I feel like he could do the same thing with Michael Thomas. Now, Michael Thomas is a very good route runner, and that, that kind of negates a lot of matchup stuff. But at the same time, uh, and then to throw this thing in, you have the 49ers pass rush, which is going to be coming hot. They're, like I said, I just I know the attitude of this team. I know their mentality. I know how they feel about these things. They don't give a shit about losing anymore and the fact that it's not going to depress them. It's not going to they're not going to question their abilities. They've lost enough for the past 2 years. They're just going to come out hot and I feel like they're going to really take it to the Saints. And I would be surprised if I'd be surprised if the Saints win and I'd be surprised if it's close. I feel like the 49ers have all the tools to negate and uh, what the Saints bring to the table. And I, like you said, I feel like the offense is going to have a healthier George Kittle. Emmanuel Sanders is still obviously playing great. You have Debo Samuel, who's kind of coming into his own and making it to where Emmanuel Sanders is not the clear like number one target. It's like Debo Samuel and Emmanuel Sanders are sharing that focus from Jimmy Garoppolo. So you've got a very balanced offense. The offensive line's turning back up. Joe Staley's coming back. I feel like everything's kind of coming together. Even McGlinchey is playing much better. And you have Cameron Jordan, who Cameron Jordan, you know, he can he can wreck a oh, game. Yeah. Um, but you have Cam Jordan coming in, and you know, as long as McGlinchey keeps doing what he was doing um, the last couple of games, and get Fortnite, I. I, I yeah, I, I, like I said, I might be no, too confident. No, it doesn't matter, bro. Know, you have some faith. You know what I mean? If you're gonna, <laughs> conviction is one of the greatest things on the planet. Just just have faith in your opinions and roll forward. And if you're wrong, you're wrong. At least no one will say you were full of shit. You know what I mean? I also think Debo Samuel should get more yeah. touches. And, and I would like to see him them just throw it out to him. The dude runs like a running back. Yeah, then with the last couple of games, he had two, I want to say against the Packers, what, two catches for – what, 50 yards or whatever, um, you know, and the touchdown. But it's like he, he should get more – he should have more than two catches. And then in the uh, in the game, last game, I, I, he had a touchdown, and I think he only had two catches. He did have one carry um, on the end around, and he got a, you know, good chunk of yards. But it's just like I, I think he should – no matter what, it's like Debo should touch the ball six times a game. I think, game. That I think he's too. that good with the – He's slowly building up a better rapport with with Jimmy Garoppolo, which hadn't always gone smoothly. I think Debo kind of started off, you know, up and down. He had his drops, you know, he dropped a touchdown, stuff like that. But I think that that's kind of in the past. And Debo Samuel is doing now what everybody kind of hoped Dante Pettis would already be doing throughout the season. You know, he's building that rapport and he's just cementing his place in the offense with with uh, you know consistency not just hot and cold you know when you can throw it up to a guy in double coverage and he catches it and takes it in for a touchdown that's something that 
you know, somebody like Garoppolo will not forget. And he will, he knows that, that, you know, in those situations, Debo Samuel, somebody he can rely on. And so, like I said, I'm, I'm right there with Croc. I think that the 49ers have, like I said, have anything, everything it takes to beat the saints. They know they need to beat the saints. They probably can't wait to get back and play the Seahawks. You know, they know that after the saints, they get to come back to Levi's stadium, um, face the Falcons. Um, and, and it'll be, uh, I think it'll I think it'll be a good game for 49ers fans, especially the ones that are freaking out over a whopping two losses. You know, get back in the win column against a great team. Uh, like 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 we're both saying, we're both pretty confident that you know the NFL can surprise you in any moment. But I feel like the Saints are uh, are 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 coming up against a 49ers team that's just primed to to give them a run for their money. You got anything else you want to touch on, Croc, before we bail out of here? Nah, that's it, man. Uh, get most of the ball more. Run some screens to him, man. He's he's good in space. It's kind of weird. He doesn't run. He's not like super elusive or anything like that. But he makes like these little subtle movements that um, are just kind of effective. And he kind of runs through arm tackles. It's kind of it's kind of weird. Like he runs like a power back, but he's a speed back. Uh, it's kind of weird, but um, it's, it's very effective and it works for him. And it has been working for the 49ers whenever they, you know, get him more involved. So. Um, keep getting him more involved, man. He can be maybe the X Factor guy. I thought he was really good catching the ball in the backfield uh, last game. So, um, yeah, man, I, I'm excited for for Sunday. Uh, a big, another big opportunity for the 49ers. Right, and that's and I think and I think we both put our thoughts out there. I think you guys know what to expect. But hey, I say this every week. Me and Crocker are on here. We're at an hour and five minutes, and I know. Our boy KJ, Kevin Jones, who who established the Striking Gold podcast, owns the Blue Wire Network. He's told us that we're not allowed to go this long. But for, it's just the way me and Crocker bounce off each other. We always end up going this long. And hopefully he doesn't uh, – He doesn't. I don't get an angry text. But if you're listening right now, I appreciate the fact that you are still here. A lot of you guys have jumped on whatever you're listening to, iTunes, Spotify, whatever everybody's on nowadays – um, a lot of you guys have jumped on there and left us a positive review and mentioned the fact that you're hearing this. Keep doing that. At least when we get in trouble, I can screenshot those reviews and send them to Kevin and say, look, 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 people love it. People love it. It's okay. You know, because um, me and Crocker love doing this and, and I love being on here with them. So just keep supporting us. Keep, you know, listening, keep downloading, keep rating, keep subscribing, keep reviewing all that stuff that good listeners do. Keep doing all that because it matters to us. We read it. We appreciate it. Hit us up on Twitter. Twitter, say what's up. Let us know what you're thinking. Um, let us know that you're listening. But like, like I said, I always appreciate it. There would be no point to us being here and doing this if you guys didn't listen at it. And I just got on and checked out the downloads recently. I got I got allowed in, and they're pretty impressive. So I appreciate you guys uh, doing everything you do. Um, but that's it for us for another week. And uh, you know, Sunday's right around the corner. This is Rob. We got Crocker, uh, striking gold, signing off. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? 
Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.